knock, knock, cut it, open up his chip Got a cush pack sales and some Henny we can sip Keep a couple dollars, I don't give a penny to a bitch But I'm with a couple hoes who say they really wanna get Acquainted with some niggas who ain't the average niggas They just wanna see why all their girlfriends be wanting pictures I be flying in the hundred nets, worth a hundred hundred stack I ain't gonna stop shopping till I hit a hundred sacks Polo, that's a given, I ain't even got a mention Candy old school, put you niggas in detention Slab niggas geeked up Tool in the clothes, I'm just a young fresh fly fool with some gold. Hey, hey, what it do, my dude? I'm living life, dog, what about you? And I ain't even gotta tell a lie. My swag, my steeds got a nigga sky high. So I'm watch my moves from my shoes on a cool beat. Damn, if a nigga ain't high to the roof. Tip tight, get it right, homie, more or less. What's up, guys? This is the Thank God I'm Fresh podcast. Um, it is Jay once again, and I actually have a special guest with me. Um, he is a Montgomery resident, as myself. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, man. So, if you are asking me, I go by Brando. Uh, I am a millennial who came back here and when anybody asks me what I do on a daily basis, working in nonprofit, I basically tell them doing my part to save Montgomery one good deed at a time. Um, whether that means working with the people to try and make things better in these streets, whether it's connecting other people to other people, or whether it's sharing my story and my experiences to try and help somebody else, that's what I what I do. That's cool, man. So. As, as you know, I've talked earlier about the podcast, you know, uh, prior to us starting recording and it's, you're in a, you're in a media world. Yes. Yeah. You're in the media world. I'm a big social media. I'm a heavy social media user. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to call myself a 10 year Twitter veteran. Um, <laughs> I worked hard for my 12,000 followers. Um, That's impressive. It is, but you know what? It doesn't amount to money. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> If it's I could get not, them it, all to give me a dollar like today, that'd be it, it's not a bag yet. I could pay off a lot of stuff, <laughs> <laughs> like student loans. Uh, right. But you know, we were actually talking earlier about music, and just for, so you guys know, this won't be your typical formatted podcast where we do fresh squeeze, black people be doing dope shit, or we might do a lot of past the oxcore today because I love talking about music. But this is really just a talk shit episode. Um, Feel free to send in a voice message, obviously. Link will be in the bio of the episode. I don't know what I'll title this yet. I guess I'll listen to it when I'm editing and we'll figure out what the title is. <laughs> but, um, man, you're so you're from Montgomery. Or? Yeah, by way of a lot of other places. So I was born in Cleveland, Ohio. Okay. Um, ended up coming to Montgomery when I was seven months old. Mm-hmm. Stayed till I was seven years old. Then moved to Central Florida. Okay. Stayed there till I was 18, moved up to North Florida in Tallahassee. Shout out to Tallahassee, the A50. Stayed there for about 10 years and then relocated back to Montgomery as an adult to kind of start my career in media. So mm. it's very interesting that you chose Montgomery to, you know, to do media because it's such yeah. a it's a dead zone, I would you could argue for media at times. Yeah. But as the world is changing and I you know, we were talking about this about podcasting with, you know, now before there was not that much access to podcasting. Mm-hmm. Now it's so much simpler thanks to apps like Anchor right. um, that we're using right now. And <laughs> shameless plug, cha-ching. Shout out. <laughs> 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 gotta, let, gotta hit them dollars. Uh, but 
you know, we're seeing now we've lived in a space where, you know, white people have had so much access to podcasting. And now we're seeing with shows like The Re, like Combat Jack, mm-hmm. um, like Angela Rye, like Pod Save the People. Mm-hmm. There's now a plethora of different, you know, black shows. And I know from you and media, you know, it's a little weird. Like, I want to do, you know, people ask me, like, why do you do podcast? Like, people aren't listening to podcasts in Montgomery or Alabama. I'm like, well, people are listening to podcasts everywhere. Right. I mean, but the one thing that I would like, I am a big believer in people telling their own stories. And I feel like everybody has a story to tell. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be written. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it can be told from an audio perspective. Right. I look at these episodes as memoirs. I actually titled an episode a couple of weeks ago, an audio memoir, because that's the way I kind of look at it. It's like, we're telling these convers, we're having these conversations, but we're also talking about things that are happening around us. Like we right. don't just like people are like, well, what's going on in Montgomery? Like Capitol, like right down the street on Capitol Hill, you know, they're passing abortion bans. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. you know they're doing really dumb shit, and you know it pisses you off, and you're like, wow, nobody's really talking about this. But also one of the things is people outside of the state of Alabama, outside of the South in general, mm. view us as like this, you know, very back you know backwoods you know muddy water you know really country ass place and they assume that everybody wants this right you know wants these laws that are being passed when in reality only let you know less than 25 percent of the people in this state actually support the laws what it is it's a deeper ingrained sense of and system of you know white supremacy and you know overt racism and covert racism as well as you know oppressing poor people definitely um and because we're so I feel like you know podcasting especially this show is necessary because we're talking we're telling stories about how this affects us and it's being honest about how it pisses us off because you can't go on the news and say you know fuck these racist white people (laughs) (laughs) but I can say it on a podcast because you know this is a free space and it's about giving people you know I love you know giving people a platform to voice their opinions and to Talk about how frustrating it is. Like, what do you think? Well, that's one of the things that I always say about Montgomery, especially being back as an adult. It's it's a beautifully frustrating space, right? Ooh, so tell me about it. So the thing, and I, I feel like I need to get that on the shirt because the thing I love most about Montgomery is I have so many roots here. I mean, this is where my parents dated when they were high school sweethearts. This is where I basically learned to walk, talk, all of that. I mean, my first formative school experience um, up until second grade was here in Montgomery. So. I'm such a product of Montgomery and I really couldn't imagine my life without Montgomery, but coming back as an adult, there were so many things that I kind of expected to change that even coming back and visiting over the summers as like a kid and a teenager kind of stayed the same. So in that same sense of it being really segregated, like Mm. after you live in Florida, especially central Florida to North Florida, you see diversity all around you. I mean, I can remember being in MPS Um, here in the public school system and I had never seen an Indian student before. I had never really known many Asian students before. So when I moved to Florida, it was this huge culture shock of, well, what do I call this person? Who is this person? I don't know much about their heritage. There's there was a huge learning curve that I never experienced in Montgomery. So coming back as an adult in 2015 and kind of seeing that and being like, 
Oh wow, Montgomery's changed, but in a lot of ways it hasn't changed. People are still self-segregating. There's still this lack of diversity. There's still this lack of resources. Um, for example, when I was growing up in Montgomery, the last neighborhood or side of town that I really kind of lived on was the Southwest. Southeast Southwest was kind of like our hood expanse. Like we didn't really need to go out East because we had our own mall, we had our own Walmart, our own everything. And most of the kids in my school were black, whites were the minority. And that was my little microcosm. I mean, my family was here. I didn't know anything different. Mm -hmm. And so when I moved back and a lot of those same family members were here, they were kind of just like, well, kind of see how you, you like it. And there was this kind of level of, now that you've gone away, gotten educated, and you kind of got your own mind, you're probably not gonna be here long. So everybody was kind of just like, well, do you think you'll stay? Do you think you like it? How are you liking it so far? And I would tell them, I'm like, well, I'm liking it. It's it's cool. It, it's, it's a lot of childhood nostalgia coming back. I'll, I'll stick it out for a year, two years, and see how I like it. But the longer I've been here, the more I see that the work is present and ever present. It's just like, People still think it's okay to say, oh, well, I know I have a vote, but my husband chooses how we vote in our household, so mm -hmm. I'm going to let him choose. Like, in the 2010s, like, that's a little crazy to me coming from Florida where everyone wants to exercise their voice. Right. Or everybody's always talking about, I'm a, I'm a voter, I pay taxes, you're not going to tell me what I can and can't do. It was just weird to come back here, and it's like, not only is it still kind of sleepy and underdeveloped, but there's blight happening and food deserts and people don't really want to exercise their vote. I mean, one thing I really complained about before I kind of got active locally with campaigns and kind of pushing people forward was apathy. I used to tell people, even my barber, there was a- I talk a lot about apathy. Like, it's, it's a, it is real. And it is, it, apathy is not just real, but it's very directed at poor people. Yes. Um, and I always say that poverty is the greatest equalizer of oppression. Like, it really, really, really hurts poor people. And I think, I mean, it really, really hurts black people from a, from a huge perspective. But it's, all, it's, it's usually, for me, it's, I hate using it as a bridge mm -hmm. to reach across to, you know, white poor people when I'm in the field and I'm doing voter restoration. But the one thing I tell them, like, you're dealing with an opioid crisis mm -hmm. and you're living in a food desert. They're dealing with a crack epidemic. And <laughs> mm -hmm. they're and they're living in the food desert. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They're they're you're both living in a drug infested, you know, in a drug infested world. Yours is yours comes from a pharmaceutical company, another one comes from the street. Right. And you're both suffering and then the one percenters still don't give a fuck about you. Right. Um, so I ran into a guy one time and he was like, Oh, you're only doing this, you know, to help Democrats and I'm like, look, man, I don't care if you vote for a Republican or a Democrat. I'm like, if you want to vote for that crazy some bitch in the White House, please be my guest. Right. But at the same time, this is what I will tell you: your state house representatives really don't give a fuck about the fact that you're poor. Mm -hmm. Don't give a fuck. Don't give a fuck about the fact that you live near nothing mm -hmm. of opportunity. Give a fuck that your kids live near nothing and that they have a piss poor education because you're poor. Right. And you can't afford to get into these really great schools that they have. They know that they're feeding you a very, very piss poor education. Mm -hmm. so that means you're never going to be able to. You probably, you're probably not going to graduate from a four to six year de degree college, and you're probably not going to even graduate from a two year degree college. That's you fair. see the statistics on that. Um, I had an argument actually the other. Well, it wasn't an argument, but uh, I have one of my former NAACP members from the Mobile chapter when I was, you know, back down south. 
um, he was a former educator and he would always get upset when people would say, you know, Alabama has, you know, the 49th ranked education, you know, educational system. I'm like, it's like, but it's not the teacher's fault. I'm like, bro, it's not, we're not saying that it's the teacher's fault. We're not saying that there aren't teachers that aren't great teachers. What we're saying is we have an education system right. that is run by a state government mm-hmm. that doesn't pay the teachers what they should adequately make. And I feel the same way about teachers, the same way I feel about police. If you pay them a low wage, you get what you pay for. I agree. And what I was, I because I was in a soliloquy as I was speaking, and I was like, this state <laughs> banks on its voters being dumb as fuck. Yeah, <laughs> it's like dumb and racist. It's it's really easy. They can say, you know, I don't want these, I don't want these niggers to vote. I don't want these, you know, I don't want, right. the, you know, I don't want these black people to have equity or anything like that. But at the same time, the hospital the hospital is closing in their small town, and if they break their leg, they might die. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and I mean that's the that's the honesty of it. And I mean, when you come back from some place that is so developed or some place that is so progressive mm-hmm. to a place that is not, it like Ooh, I said, it's almost buddy. polarizing because you're like, "Ooh, I didn't know this kind of stuff was still happening," or "Ooh, I didn't know people still referred to this kind of stuff this way." And I mean the the thing that. I was saying about my, even with my barber, I used to call it the cloud of apathy. There was always this level of someone should do it, but I don't know if it should be me or it's not going to be me for X, Y, and Z reason. But there was always this level of, uh, I kind of care about it. And I used to feel really bad because I used to do this thing where I felt, especially my second year back, I used to feel really upset. Like I felt like I, I knew at the point that I wasn't doing enough, that that was, that was definitely clear. But there was this level of, okay, well, why am I here? If I haven't moved yet and I'm working in this this job and I'm learning about all these things that are happening happening nationwide and kind of pu- pulling them in to see how they refer to my little town or my little slice of America, what can I be doing better? And then it was like when I was trying to find allies and like-minded people, and this was kind of pre-EJI and everything really kind of popping mm-hmm. off and a lot of the millennials sticking around, there was this level of, well, I hear what you're saying, but I don't really think things are going to change. So good luck with that. And it felt really, really, really lonely. Like this level of, I know we can be better. I know we can do better. I know that I'm not the only one around me that realizes it's 2015 or 2016. What can we be doing better to push the needle kind of in that direction and making sure that people have rights, that people don't have to drive 20 miles somewhere else to another Mm. grocery store where they're going to get looked at funny because they had the audacity to drive there in the first place to get fresh produce. Like, it shouldn't be that way. And I mean, even with Montgomery, that's the thing that kind of gets me because the north side where I really grew up in my formative, formative years there's blight everywhere there's abandoned businesses i can show you abandoned homes where my aunt lived in that community when she moved from up north and those communities were thriving there were military families there who were building something for their children that were dedicated to their children's educations there were people in older communities who had been there since their inception and were dedicated to making sure that the grass was cut that none of the houses were abandoned that if renters moved in those were reputable renters who would keep the neighborhood up and help Mm -hmm. do their part to keep that neighborhood thriving and viable so to move back and see abandoned homes in the neighborhood where I learned to walk, talk, and and that sort of stuff. It it was just one of those things that I was just like, there's a lot of work to do do here. And I mean, even four years, almost four and a half years later, I feel like there's still so much work to do. I'm glad to see that there are other allies and people like you who have a voice who want to do the work or want to rally the people and fight that apathy, fight the blight, fight 
all the kind of systemic racism and other things that kind of stand in the way, but there's still so much work that has to be done. Yeah, I was going to say, if you could explain to the listeners what exactly blight is, because I feel like people really aren't really understanding that conversation when we're talking about it. And before you do that, I just wanted to say not only people having to travel to go to a grocery store, people traveling, having to travel hundreds, like over, like damn near hundreds of miles just to go vote. Yeah. Like, because there's still, like, there are, I always tell people, it is no, make no mistake that it is not by accident that the blackest part of Alabama is also easily the most oppressed, the poorest, the less, the least densely populated as far as where white people stay, but the most densely populated where black people stay. Like, people are fleeing Selma by the thousands mm-hmm. and the first thing that's going to happen is what we what we know always happens as, as soon as a whole bunch of black people move out because they can't take it anymore because their kids aren't finding any jobs because they're not moving back these retired white folks from up north say they want to go live in the country they buy up all the property and then the property value goes up and all of a sudden people are living in Selma when white folks only visit Selma to walk across a the Edmund Pettus Bridge and tell us that they're not racist. <laughs> um, or open a juice bar. Mm. <laughs> and there it is. And there it is. And, and open a juice bar. But please tell them about Blight because I, I, I feel like people really need to understand like what that what that really means. So typically Blight, when you're talking about neighborhoods or sides of town, right? That Blight is, this used to be a thriving business district if it was restaurants, stores, boutiques, doctor's offices, drug stores, that that sort of thing. This was once a thriving area, whatever happens in society, whether it be white flight or some level of people moving out of the community, not reinvesting in the community, what have you. You're now looking maybe 10, 15, sometimes in Montgomery, not even five years down the line, and it's now an abandoned side of town. Or it's an abandoned row of shops and there might be a hair store and a Piggly Wiggly now where there were five thriving businesses before that. um, The blight you see in Montgomery, I'm still not quite sure because I was gone for so long. Um, But when I talk to the people who stayed here, my friends, family and whatnot, they're quick to tell you that, oh, everything went east. That's everybody's kind of blanket statement for why you're seeing blight on the west side of Montgomery, the north side of Montgomery. Oh, everything kind of moved east. And I mean, I can kind of chart that from coming back each summer and being like, hey, the mall I used to go to as a kid and go get my Easter shoes and my Easter suits and stuff or the dinner, the restaurants we would go have Sunday dinners at, like now they've got a location out east and this south side location isn't getting enough foot traffic or they're barely open or it got shot up or something happened. And once that happened, that was the end of it. I think what's really interesting about that is as well is. You know what's really crazy about Montgomery's Mall? The actual mall, not East Jays. It's not a mall. <laughs> You're talking about Eastdale. Yeah, Eastdale. Eastdale's mall sells Yeezys. And they get them every release. Like, I'm not joking. I'm, I'm looking at you because I didn't know that. I was shook when I walked in and I saw a pair of Adidas Yeezys sitting on the, sitting on the shelf. And I was like... You guys sell these? They're like, yeah, we get it. We get every pair that come out. Talk about the a high end boutique shoe, right? Like one of my homeboys went to Tuskegee and he said, "Don't tell nobody this." I'm not saying his name, but I used to. He lived in Tuskegee, and anytime a shoe release would come out, he'd always drive to Montgomery to go mm-hmm. get his sneakers because there's obviously nothing in Lowndes County, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Out there in Tuskegee, and 
um, he'd go buy his sneakers in Montgomery and come back. And I thought that was crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, because I live in Mobile, which is, to me, a much bigger city than, obviously, um, than Montgomery. And right. it's a port city as well. So you, like, you're adjacent to New Orleans. You're adjacent mm-hmm. to all of, you know, pretty much all of the panhandle of Florida. Right. And, you know, you're not that far from Atlanta either, if you really want to count that as well. Mm-hmm. I loved Mobile because I always told people that, you know, it's the only city where you, it's the only city you can live where you can go northeast, northeast, west, and you can go south if you want to go into the water. Right. Um, and you get a mix of, like, all these different blends of cultures there, and it makes it a really nice melting pot, but it's still racist as fuck. <laughs> um, I mean, you can't get away from that. I mean, and you know what's crazy about the blight issue, when you talk about cities like Pritchard, Alabama, is a prime example of this. Mm-hmm. You know, Pritchard, Alabama used to have a lot of white people at one point in time. I went to Murphy High School, which is one of the oldest schools in the state of Alabama. Not only that, one of my coworkers, who was much older than me, Mm. (laughs) graduated from the same high school I went to. Me and her are the only two people that went to that high school in in the entire place that I work at. That was crazy to me in itself. So what's funny about this is, so Pritchard is the blackest city now in the city of Mobile. Okay. It holds majority of the black people in Mobile County. But before that, white people stayed in Pritchard. So when integration happened and black people came to Viger High School, which was before a white school, mm. it was not always a black school. It's been a black it's been known as a black school for like the last 30, 40 years. Okay. But you know, prior to prior to integration, it was a white school. Mm-hmm. So what did white folks do? They moved to Sarah Land, yep. which is a very, very small town. Right next door, they moved to Chickasaw, they moved to West Mobile, they moved to, um, and you know, they opened up all these private schools. So, what's really interesting about this conversation when I moved 20 about roughly 20 years ago, a Walmart was built, was being proposed to being built in the city of Pritchard. Right okay. now, what do we know in the state of Alabama? What builds a city? Wealth tax, uh, sales tax, right? Mm-hmm. So the more money you spend, in the, the more money you spend, that's gener- the revenue that's you know that's generated from from taxes. Obviously, goes back into the city. It obviously creates more opportunities because Pritchard is run by a bunch of idiots, <laughs> and you know I don't say that I don't put that lightly because they are because it was and it kind of still is. The biggest problem with the city of Pritchard was these black people were like, okay, we don't want this. We don't want this Walmart in our city. It goes to Sarah Land. Now, mm-hmm. why is that significant? 20 years later, Sarah Land now has a hospital. Sarah Land's population is not even 25,000 people. Wow. Sarah Land has a $10 million high school, which is one of the biggest high schools in Mobile County. And it is brand new, state of the art. It just opened like a couple of years ago. And they opened it because... Blunt High School moved from Pritchard to Eight Mile, which means that those Sarah Land kids, those white kids, were now zoned mm-hmm. to go to this black school, which was now put in tug, kind of a mixed area, which is Eight Mile, which is where I was actually born and raised. Well, I wasn't born, but I was raised in Mobile County. Okay. Um, Eight Mile is adjacent to Mobile, Pritchard, um, Sarah Land, and Chickasaw. Chickasaw is a very, very small town in between Chickas- in between Sarah Land and uh, Pritchard, Pritchard and Sarah and Chickasaw, I believe, has its own high school now. So okay. it's you're seeing these schools get like I've never understood for the life of me. You know, usually when you live in a certain district, you go to you go to that school. But mm-hmm. when I lived in Mobile, I didn't go to the school in my district. I was supposed to go to Blunt. That's where I was zoned for. The reason I didn't go to Blunt is because the Blunt that 
the blunt at the time that was in Pritchard had a very huge mold and asbestos problem. Mm. And if I went there my freshman year, there was a risk that I could have gotten sick. So my mother sent me, well, my aunt rather, what I call her my mother, sent me to Murphy High School, okay. which was in Midtown, which means I had to get up at five o'clock in the morning to get on a school bus that picked me up in front of my cul-de-sac and took me across town so I could get a better education. Also, that school had the most extra extracurricular activities as far as organizations goes. It had the most electives. It also had an IB program and an AP program that I didn't even participate in. Okay. Um, but it was also a very integrated school. I was one of the first few thousand freshman member classes that came into Murphy High School, and we ended up being one of the largest majority black classes that came and stayed and did not transfer out. Mm. Um, made white people really uncomfortable. And now... <laughs> And now you hear these residents that are actually in the Murphy High School District talk about, oh, well, we feel like the school doesn't represent what the neighborhood looks like, which actually, aka, means there's a whole bunch of niggas that go to this school now. <laughs> um, and we're a bunch of white, you know, homeowners here, and it doesn't look like us. Mm -hmm. But also, what they're not realizing is they're not old. All of their kids who went to school with me. <laughs> are all old and they didn't move back to Mobile. Right. Because ain't shit in Mobile. Y'all <laughs> <laughs> got a casino so, though, right? No, we do not have a casino. I don't know Is what, that Atmore? That's Atmore. Okay. <laughs> shout out to Atmore. Shout, shout out to the Native Americans. <laughs> give them reparations and give them back their land. Uh, <laughs> we owe them a lot. <laughs> I've actually never been to the... Uh, the casino at Atmore. I have friends who go all the time, mm -hmm. but because you live in Mobile, you just go to Biloxi. Yes, yeah. yeah. Go to Biloxi, you go to New Orleans. <laughs> Don't look, you're 45 minutes really from Biloxi. Like, that, yeah. My, my ex-girlfriend's from Goldport. I have driven down that highway mm -hmm. about a thousand times. Mm -hmm. I could close my eyes and I could make it make it to Biloxi <laughs> you know, and make it to the to the boat, as they like to call it. <laughs> R.I.P. the boat. Damn it, Hurricane Katrina. <laughs> Took away the best part of Biloxi by far. Mm, mm, mm. Mm. But um, tell them what you're doing now, man. So now I am basically doing uh, communications for a local nonprofit, which I really appreciate because I feel like, and this is going to sound so cliche, but some jobs or some career positions just kind of are waiting for you to get your shit together in a sense and kind of marry all of your skills together. So what I do now is basically molded around this idea of communications and engagement. So I'm bringing all of my talents in terms of social media, the little bit I know about organizing folk who are like-minded and care about actually giving to things that are trying to make things better and kind of planning community events, sharing stuff on social, crafting the narratives for a website, doing all of the inline messaging and stuff that goes out to donors and that sort of stuff. And I really, I really enjoy what I do because it doesn't feel like work. It's one of those things where I don't feel like I'm having to swallow my pride every time that I'm going into my job or I have to cuss or pray in the car or do a combination of both. And please, like, please don't let me have to beat nobody ass when I go in this job. <laughs> like, homegirl from Flavor of Love. <laughs> but I'm just like... Just prepare myself. Right, right. <laughs> I, I honestly can say that I love what I, what I do. And I mean, through my job with the outreach that we do and the kind of stuff we do where we bring the community in, right? We've made these relationships with SPLC, um, Southern Poverty Law Center, and Equal Justice Initiative. So we get to meet all of these people, and rather I get to meet and kind of interact with these dope people who are doing the same kind of work with other nonprofits, or even if they're kind of like out in the field, really getting the slings and the arrows and really dealing with the difficult people and the more difficult issues. 
it's a really great entree for me to kind of say, okay, this is why you're still here. It's not that level of me kind of working corporate, sitting up high and looking low and being like, oh, I shouldn't be here. I should move to Atlanta. Or, oh, I can move to Charlotte or I can move to Nashville. Like, I finally feel like after four years here, I'm really kind of in this space where I'm just like, oh, okay, this political election could kind of use a little help or these people mm. aren't really kind of getting active in their community the way that they could be. Mm. Do I know somebody who can kind of help them with that? Or how could I do my little part to kind of get them get them involved with that? So it, it feels good to be doing that kind of, kind of work. And like I said, Montgomery will always have this kind of spot in my heart because like I said, this is a place that means so much to me, so much to my family and our roots that I just don't want to see it fucked over or kind of left and scattered to the winds to see what what happens. Right. I, that's the way I've always felt about Alabama. I had a friend ask me, he lives in Texas now, and he was like, bro, why don't you just move? And I'm like, because if I don't do the work, who's going to do it? Yeah. And I mean, everybody asks that. They're just like, are you sure you want to stay there? Are you sure? I mean, you could be getting paid. It's getting really bad there. Yeah. I'm like, bro, it's like, first of all, it's not as bad as you think it is. Right. <laughs> it's really not. Like, right. it's not like people are like, it's not 1950 people aren't getting right. outside. Right. <laughs> I, I did not get spit on this, this morning I did get spit at the on. gas station. I didn't have to, you know, walk on the other side of the street because a white woman was walking down the sidewalk. <laughs> right. You know. I'm... You know, I didn't, you know, get killed for whistling, um, you know, at a white woman. Like, I'm not living that type of life. Right. Like, yes, it is annoying. And it, I call it more so of a nuisance. Like, it's like a mosquito. Right. And how much you swat it, you constantly miss it. Or like a gnat. More right. So. so it's annoying. But, like, the people here, I. this is why I hate when people turn and this is why I hate white liberalism because when they look at this place from an outside lens they're like oh this is so awful boo Alabama you guys should do so much better but they're not donating to these women of color that are leading these charges and these organizations like the women like the women of color men of color that we know who do this work every single day they're not sending the dollars to the people who need it so they can they're not flying down here to volunteer either right you know they sit and get on their Facebook and get on their Twitter and Mm. their Instagram and they talk about, you know, I am so glad that I live in a progressive city and we're working to make things better, but you're gingerfying the fuck out of it and you're moving all the right. black poor people out of their houses. Right. But you think that you're bringing opportunity. And like, you're low-key low judging. Like, yeah. You're, you're low-key judging. And But capitalism has tricked people into, you know, looking down on poor people. Right. I mean, and it is the... It pisses you off because... And, and this is the thing, like, we live in a capitalistic society. I'm not saying that I'm a communist or a Marxist, but the one thing that I really started to understand by really working with poor, disenfranchised people is that we have been pre-programmed as people to look at our cousin JJ's and our cousins and our cousin Keisha's who mm-hmm. have been in and out of jail or been in trouble, to look down on them and be apathetic to them. Right. And it cre- and I, I say the biggest crutch... I often, people ask me what's the biggest question in the black community I say it's apathy and it's nihilism mm-hmm. said most people are apathetic to even their own people this mm-hmm. is why you don't white people have say well where'd the village go I'm like y'all stop caring right and then on top of that it's a nihilistic society that believes nothing can change because nothing has changed right. I don't I'm, I can't get mad at an apathetic voter who felt like their vote didn't matter after 2016. I mean, shit, yeah. I felt like my vote didn't matter. I know I did. I was like, I know I did. I was like, fuck this shit. I'm just going to drink my wine until this whole shit burns down in a revolution. Let's go. <laughs> you know, but 
for me, it's it's more so of a, it's, it's like fuck, man. It's like I can't afford to quit. Right. And I think that's my biggest thing. Like I can't afford to say, fuck it. I'll just move to Aruba and you know live out the rest of my days because I'm like <laughs> why would I do that when there's so many young people here that are looking for something else looking to believe in something else you exactly. know and honestly like I may not I think the one you want to know why people don't like participating in civil rights because civil rights is not an instantaneous gratification very job. true <laughs> very true and it, it is funny you bring that up because if my dad lord rest his soul were to hear this and hear this conversation he would be like you finally get it but he used to tell me you hate delayed gratification and this is before the whole millennial avocado toast we hate being minorly inconvenienced kind of stuff I'm came not my up. ancestors right <laughs> this is before all this but my dad used to be like that's your issue it's going to be so hard for you to make it out here if you don't learn that some things you're going to have to work a little harder for some things you're not going to get instantaneously and you're not going to get those microwave results and i think for me that has been a hard thing but adulting and especially adulting in this part of the south right has really taught me nothing is overnight and one thing that i definitely have to shout out is meeting civil rights figures that are still with us here in montgomery because please don't believe what you hear about it was just martin luther king it was rosa parks i mean claudette colvin is still very much alive yes mary louise smith ware is still very much alive i saw her earlier this week doris crenshaw is still very much alive and all of these people have their unique ties and stories to the modern civil rights movement mm. as well as the one from years ago that you read about in the history books so for me Seeing these people and asking them about their experiences when I get to have great conversations with them and saying, well, what helped you keep the faith and what helped you keep going during the civil rights movement? Now it's kind of just like I can imagine in a couple of years, well, more than a couple of years, I can imagine a young person asking me, like, what helped you stay sane after Trump got in the presidency and yeah. you felt like your, your vote was worthless? And I'm going to tell them continuing my job in media and sometimes city girls or sometimes <laughs> uh, sometimes Netflix binges and scented candles from Bath and Body Works like my like those things that bring me self-care like those will be the things the tools and tricks of the trade that I end up sharing with right. people then um, because it's just like that's the same thing that people in the civil rights movement had like they had their faith. They had that level of community. They had that, I can't shoulder the work on somebody else because I'm now a part of this work. Right. It's, it's like you can't really escape it. And like you said, there is luckily in Montgomery now this huge base of us millennials who are kind of here in the trenches with our shirt sleeves rolled up, kind of like, okay, well, what can I do? Or even if I am going to move somewhere in the next couple of years, I'm not going to end up retiring and buying a house here. What can I do while I'm here for it not to be so fucked up? Or what can I do to kind of make sure that if this is history and history is being written, what can I do to kind of push history forward? So people don't say, well, when that abortion ban came out, people really didn't do anything or it was so, so apathetic and the whole nation was looking at, at Alabama. What and are we going to do? And I tell people, all the time that's bullshit 4,000 people lined up in, in Huntsville mm -hmm. about 2,000 lined up in uh, Birmingham and 500 people were pissed off in Montgomery mm -hmm. I was and the thing about it is like I've learned to stop complaining about the large amount of numbers yes. of people that show up because if you're concerned and you give a fuck then I'm glad you're here exactly because trust me 
I'll take three white women that are pissed off. Right. Over five hundred white women that's just kind of like or kind of just there. Just just kind of like there. Kind of just there, wearing you, the shirt or wearing the hat. Let me tell you about them three white women that's pissed off. They will. <laughs> they will. I was told by Apple Care all this shit. <laughs> I swear. I've seen it happen. Want to know how I know it happened? Why do we think that there's all those women sitting in those in those House Congress seats? Yeah. In D.C. Like. Right now in the, in the state of Nevada, Nevada now has a majority female state of house representatives. Okay. Like, and they run government completely different. And all them white men are like, whoa, up, you know, you got too much dip <laughs> on your chip. What you mean? <laughs> but when you start to see, I think, and it's not even that they're like, you know, hold up. It's more so of. When you start to see a government that's actually run by what the people look like. Yes. And I think that's the one thing that I stress to people at the local municipal level, like working where I work and doing voter restoration. And I'm like, here's the thing, man, like voting is like being in an arcade and you, you know, when you go into an arcade, you need tokens. Mm -hmm. You need tokens to get those tickets so you can go get that prize off of that wall. But if you're walking in with fake tokens... And you go to try to play that game, and it keeps coming out that return bin mm-hmm. every time you push that coin in. But the count, the person to your right keeps putting them in, and they keep playing, and they're getting tickets. You're gonna feel like you're being gypped. Yeah. Well, voting is your ticket, and I'm not. I don't vote shame people because I, I tell people often, Martin Luther King didn't die for you to go for you to vote. Right. Don't shame people into voting. He voted. He died for you to have, have the, the right. right to choose whether you're going to participate in this election or not. And it was also bigger than just voting. Right. If you're a registered voter, you can sit on a jury, mm-hmm. which means that that all white male jury that, that locked all those black people up and got them killed mm-hmm. for lack of better reasons, you know, now can't do that. Right. Like I. I think because we don't tell the whole story of civil rights, like that's missed out on. We don't talk about, you know, I love that you brought up Claudette Coleman, mm-hmm. um, mainly because the fact that she's still alive. I was actually having a conversation with a friend of mine on the phone and we were talking about Claudette Coleman yesterday because mm-hmm. she was like, fuck Rosa Parks. And I was like, I wouldn't say all of that <laughs> um, because Rosa Parks was an amazing rape activist um, in the 40s and the 50s. Like people don't know about Reese. The fact that people don't know who Reese Taylor is in the state of Alabama scares me. And it really pisses me off that Rosa Parks has been subjugated. Rosa Parks has been shrunk into this person who just sat, sat on, on the bus, bus and didn't get up. And didn't know that she was the lead investigator for the NAACP in the state of Alabama, mm-hmm. that she was a rape activist who fought for people like Reese Taylor, who was raped, you know, by by four white men. Like mm-hmm. we don't talk about these stories. And so, like, because I read books, mm-hmm. you know, like, I read Dark at the Dark End of the Street, you know, by Daniel McGuire, which is just awesome. If you have not read it, I highly suggest it. Um, one story, like, one story in particular is actually a woman who was sexually assaulted at your alma mater in FAMU. Wow. And she is still alive to this day. Mm-hmm. Her grandson went to FAMU. And he had no idea that she was the actual person. Man. He was sitting in African American studies class, and his professor was actually talking about what happened to her and how that she should be celebrated more. Because the day after she was raped, every student at FAMU walked out of class in her honor and demanded justice. 
and she was the first woman to bring four white men to jail for raping a black woman in the state of Florida. Mm. She is still alive to this day. Right. And she is a she is a hero in every sense of the word. Mm. And there's not even a question about it, but when you don't, you know, but you know, hey, we live in a misogynistic society that doesn't like to talk about, you know, rape because they don't like women. I mean, we just kind of noticed that. <laughs> and I mean, not only that, but I mean, the South, and it's not just us. I mean, like I said, you'll see it at the EJI, uh, what do you call it, museum. But I mean, it's one of those things that even the vibe kind of carries through the streets of Montgomery and in the interactions with people who live in Montgomery, there's yeah. this loaded history that no one likes to talk about. I mean, there is Robert E. Lee, Robert e. Lee High School. There is Jefferson Davis, Davis High, High School. School. And also, by the way, that lady's name is Betty Jean Owens. Gotcha. Um, I would definitely tell you to pick up that book. It is a wonder. It's heavy dialogue just because it's talking, you know, it's a very sensitive issue. It's talking right. about you know, black women rape and how rape is you was used as a tool by white supremacists as a fear tactic mm -hmm. um, to, you know, keep, you know, black women from progressing and to scare, you know, black people in general, because if you're a husband and your wife gets raped, it's yeah. going to scare you from going back and fighting for that voting, for, you know, for those voting rights or fighting for equal rights. Right. Um, so it's like wonderful book. Shout out to Amante Martin, who is our grandson. Um, he's actually a podcaster. Um, okay. Graduated from FAMU, and I want to say he is actually he is a PhD student at the University of Florida, studying in access for policy and justice. Very dope. Um, very very dope guy, and I love him to death because he told me this story, and I had no idea. Man. And the fact that she's still living. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, and I mean, you you you've touched on it again. That was one of those reminders I had as an adult because living in Florida for 20 years, my my mind was shifted. My cultural references were shifted because I was introduced to all of these different people, all of these different things, all of these different mindsets that I hadn't really been exposed to in Montgomery. So moving back, like I said, at the end of my 20s in 2015, it was this level of, okay, so people talk about the civil rights movement like it was so long ago. You can see civil rights figures at this form that you're going to or walking down the street or in the grocery store depending on the day and time that you go we're not that far removed and like i said we've got this really difficult history that we're just now starting to talk about so that was one of those things that also kind of made me kind of cue into the fact that the work is not going to be easy and it's mm. certainly not going to be swift because if we're just now addressing that we have these problematic spaces where you've got slews of black students from the past 30, 40 years who have graduated from Robert E. Lee High School or Jefferson Davis High School, but now they're just now starting to see the problematic aspect of that when they're seeing this push for Confederate statues to be torn down all across the nation, but that's right. your alma mater. Like, it, it meets you at your doorstep and becomes one of those things like... Imagine, oh, imagine growing up... <laughs> imagine growing up in Montgomery you know, in the height of integration and you have to walk into a school building that's named after a white supremacist. Like, can you imagine? I can't. And see, the, the funny thing about that is I always used to think, oh, those people in the civil rights movement, ooh, they had the right ones because I just don't think that I can do it. Ooh. <laughs> but sometimes the way I wake up on the wrong side of the bed, I just don't feel like I could. But again, right, the America we're living in now Trump is president and you're seeing a lot of the same sort of ideals where people who are racist or people who are bashers or trolls when it comes to social media and the internet, they are emboldened to feel like they can say whatever, do whatever and mm -hmm. hide behind the safety of these internet masks or 
these screen names or these Twitter handles, Instagram handles or what have you. And we're dealing with similar stuff. It's one of those things where it's just like, it's it's not that far off from what our ancestors or our aunts, uncles, and I think, grandparents do. And I think this is what a lot of our old school black folk always say that ain't much has not much has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, also, if you hear a bottle in the background, this uh, podcast is sponsored by um, Riscato. <laughs> uh, really good wine. It is. <laughs> but. I think I see it like I understand why you know you hear so many black folk that were integration you know test tube kids Mm -hmm. for the most part they say you know integration was a mistake right Um, it perplexes you when you first hear it Mm -hmm. because you're like what but the problem the problem is that integration in theory obviously sounds great but in practice the moment that integration happened, I, I just talked about it with Sarah Land, mm-hmm. you know, and Pritchard. What did these white folks do? They moved their kids out. They right. opened up a bunch of private schools. Right. And they said, we're not going to go to school with you niggas. Like, that's not what we're doing today. Right. And, or, you know, they shipped them off to like a place where there's nothing but white people where they know black folk ain't going to move. And then they can open up a public school or they can, you know, turn a school that's that was, you know, maybe have a few black people so white that it makes the black people uncomfortable. To where they do move. To where they do move. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you're dealing with a situation. I want to say that, um, you know, EJI actually just had um, uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones here in the city of Montgomery speaking with uh, Brian Stevenson. And she was like, if you want integration to work, y'all white folks got to put y'all kids in public school. Yeah. And you can't, like assume that your kid is going to be in more danger right because they're in a black school because in reality they're really not no because who's shooting up all these schools i mean <laughs> i'm just I mean, saying <laughs> you know as i drink this riscato just <laughs> but i mean you you touched on a really good point because that was the other thing coming back to montgomery that kind of shocked me because like i said uh kind of at the beginning of this cast like I grew up in a school that was majority black and white kids were the minority. And when I moved to Florida, it was the exact opposite. But here in Montgomery, you still had this level of whites and blacks in school together. You still had magnet school children and your regular students still in the same school together. It was a microcosm of what a city should be. It was a representative sample of we've got your children who aim high. We've got your children who are kind of missing the mark. But at the same time, they kind of help each other. They sit in class. They work together, that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. By the time I moved back in 2015, there was this level of everyone. If you wanted your child to succeed, you were breaking your back or breaking your neck to make enough money to send your child to private school, which to me was just unheard of. I mean. Florida didn't have the best schools in a lot of cities and a lot of kind of areas of Florida, but I was blessed to go to great schools that mm-hmm. showed me just kind of how far back I had been with my Montgomery education. I'm so thankful for the schools that I did go to because they taught me culture. They taught me that level of kind of quote unquote that 90s element of reaching for the stars and trying to find out where you're your passion lies and I will never never forget them for that Mm -hmm. but there's this level in Montgomery where I was going to the gap and I see uh 
not to be rude or anything, but you're kind of stereotypical soccer mom folding up jeans. And I'm just like, this is not what you see in your Atlantas, your Tampas, your Orlandos, your, even your mm-hmm. Tallahassees. And they kind of break it to you or people in social circles will break it to you and be like, oh, she was probably trying to make tuition for her kids. Or, you know, she was probably trying to supplement that tuition at Catholic or at St. John's. And I mean, it's one of those things where now instead of kind of rolling up your sleeves and like I always talk about doing the work, there's this level of, well, if the fast track is us mortgaging our house and me working a side job or me and my husband both working part time jobs, in addition to the full time jobs we already work, the stuff we sell on eBay and the other stuff in our household we can monetize. We're going to work these extra jobs to have our students, our children go to this private school where we're paying 15000 a year or 18000 a year. Or even if they're younger students, we're paying 12000 a year because we know it's a good, reputable school. Doing the work at a public school is way cheaper. And joining the PTA or PTO and trying to get in there and kind of see where you can affect change or how you and your husband can kind of band together and open up a world of resources for these students or make sure that your children do have great advantages because they are getting to interact with diverse students Mm -hmm. or getting opportunities in an inner city school setting. I mean, that to me is way more advantageous than kind of putting your kid in private school and saying, oh, no, this is the fast track to ensure that they get to college. No. That's not necessarily true. Like you can have a kid at a magnet school who does not even have the mindset to want to go to college or doesn't necessarily want college to be their next step. But you've got a kid in public school who, if he had a little more attention, if his school had a little more money, if his school had teachers or paraprofessionals who really gave a damn and really were there in the trenches with him every day, kind of taking on the stuff that he battles at home or that his mom might be facing or whatever might be going on to kind of get there with him and say, I'm not going to give up on you because you you're better than this you you are capable of doing anything that any other student can do that's powerful and i think now we're at this space in montgomery where in addition to the other societal issues we're kind of facing on a daily basis education is so huge because no one really wants to send their child to public school and it's kind of like a last resort and it's you know what's funny i was saying this the other day there is a sense of anti-blackness that is attached to public school like when did we started hating public that's true. Because in Florida, I can tell you that is not the case. Yeah, well, you, one, there's a lottery that funds the education program, too, as well, um, to very, a fault. Very true. But I think what is amazing to me, and um, Nicole Hannah-Jones brought this up, like, we have a problem with public things all of a sudden. Public transportation. Public transportation. Public, public schools. schools. Like, I'm sorry, but Martin Luther King might be... The, the greatest nigga that, that's ever existed in, in, in niggadom. And, like, he, guess where he graduated from at 16 years old before he went to Morehouse? A public school. Yeah. And, like, I disagree with Killer Mike on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I'm, not this, I'm not the biggest fan. Um, <laughs> but he was on the Breakfast Club not too long ago when I first moved to Montgomery, and I remember him saying it. He's like, Martin Luther King, the greatest Negro that's ever existed in history, Negro history. Yeah. And he went to a public school. Yeah. He was like, the when you he was like, we will go to every football game. We will cheer and scream and shout and cry when we send our kids to St. Pius. But if I send my kid to Booker T. Washington, all of a sudden I want to show up, you know, 
I don't want to show up to this meeting. I don't want to show up to to show to support this. I don't want to show up to support that. When your tax dollars literally keep the lights on in this motherfucker. Yeah. And the one thing I, t- I tell people, the same thing I feel about police officers is the same way I feel about teachers. Your tax dollars pay their wages. Mm-hmm. That's what helps them keep their lights on. Mm-hmm. Your tax dollars. Mm-hmm. So if they do anything that directly affects your children or direct or directly affects your safety or your well-being in your household as police officers or teachers you have every single right yes, to sir. question that entire institution because your money keeps their lights on yes sir like period point blank when people ask me like why do you you know why do you hold police to such a high standard i'm like i hold police to a high standard because the idea of police in itself is supposed to be people that protect the community, not terrorize it. But mm-hmm. when you live, like when you know the history of this country and you know that the whole infrastructure and the belief of what police were, you know, created for, and that was to, you know, hold, you know, you know, put these black folks in jail and, and round up these niggas. <laughs> you, you know, you see why black folks don't, you know, feel a certain way about police. You know what I'm saying? So right. it, it, but I feel the same way about education. It's like. You cannot tell me that you're not invested in your educate that you're not invested into your child's education because you're paying for it. Mm-hmm. But also, one thing that I feel like black folks got to get away from is this idea, this belief that white folks told them that we don't give a fuck about education. We actually invented public education. Mm-hmm. First thing we built when we was free was what schools Ooh. and churches because yeah. <laughs> we love education and we love black Jesus. Right in that order, <laughs> I was gonna say it might be in the other order. Or it might be, it might be, you know, they might be parallel to each other. It might be a one A one B type thing. Right. It just, I don't. For me, it's like I love that we're seeing this change in Montgomery. I talk to you know friends like you know Dylan, like, Mm -hmm. and you know he's been here for a a while, and he's seen this city change. He Mm -hmm. remembers before EJI was here, and Mm -hmm. like the one thing that I love about EJI is that they. They are not afraid to tell what the story truly is in yes. the city, and they make this city embrace its, you know, as you know, these white supremacists love to embrace this cradle of confederacy. They mm. embrace it as the birthplace of civil rights, and yes. they make them look at it. Yes, and like that memorial forces you to look at your shame. Oh, definitely. It forces you to deal with that. Um, and it forced you to have a conversation. And then the coolest thing about it is like you have all of these universities from across the nation that are coming here mm-hmm. during the year that are coming to see this mass incarceration museum. Mm-hmm. They're coming to, you know, to this EJI memorial and they're seeing this. So mm-hmm. they're like, and the, also the thing that they're seeing about Montgomery is that, like, oh, Montgomery's not really that bad. And Alabama's right. not really that crazy. But then they see this more like, yo, yeah. <laughs> yeah. y'all was wilding. Like, right. <laughs> y'all had to like, Y'all was like at a ten. I need you to subtract eight and two. But like, it's crazy seeing the way this. You know, seeing the conversation change. Like we, you know, obviously we have an upcoming election coming up, and you know, it's really interesting to see people excited. Mm -hmm. You know, but it also reminds me of the history of this state because you know of this city. City sixty one percent black, and it's never had a black mayor before. Right. And that is mind-boggling. But mm-hmm. you know, when you look at you know why you know why does it have a nonpartisan election? You're like, could you ask yourself? You know, most cities don't have that. So why does right. this? And then you look at you peel back the layers. You're like, oh, racism. Okay, cool. Right. Um, <laughs> I get it. I kind of thought that was the answer, but I'm I'm glad that I verified that. <laughs> but you know, I 
it, it has a chance. You know, yeah. I talk with many of my, you know, many of my friends that are Montgomery residents and it's, you know, they say, you know, hey, this city is right now at the top of a mountain and it can either lean forward exactly. or it can lean back. Exactly. Right. We have a chance as people to push it forward mm-hmm. uh, and continue to tell these stories and see how this city evolves. I don't think the city is the next Birmingham. I don't think it's the next Atlanta. I don't think it's the next Charlotte. Right. But it's something. It is. It definitely is. And I don't know what that something is, but I would rather, but I would like to see it. <laughs> and, see, and see, you sound like me, and that's, I think that's why I've stuck around as long as I have, because anybody who knows me, and we've had people that we've had this conversation before, they always know that, like, my new little catchphrase is, Montgomery's about to pop, and I want to be here where it, it is. is. And it's like, like you said, I don't know what it's going to look like, I don't know what it's going to be, but I'm like, I feel like Montgomery is one of those cities on the cusp, where we're either going to be a really great example of something great and historic, or we're going to fail miserably and have to start from scratch. But with whatever happens, I feel like, like I said, as long as I'm here, I feel like I have to have some dedication to doing what I can to make sure that it does pop and that it does become some place that people are a little more happy to be be visiting or people are a little more happy to kind of say, oh, you are from Montgomery or you are living in Montgomery. How's that working out for you? Or how I see you haven't left yet, so it must be something going on in, in Montgomery. I mean truth be told we are close enough to like the big places so if you ever do want to go visit and kind of visit like your Atlanta or somewhere you always can but like I said Montgomery is just one of those places that it it has a incredibly soft spot in my heart and I just feel like it's gonna pop like I don't know what that popping is going to look like I don't know if we're going to make history anytime soon I mean hopefully with this mayor's race one way or another we will because we hopefully might just have our first black mayor so that I mean you know if we you, you know, if we do the work, true, and I feel like I feel like that's the most important part. If you do the work, and I feel like whoever is the next mayor of Montgomery, I feel like it has to be some. It has to be someone that sends a message to you know Union Street where Capitol Hill is. Yeah, it says. Fuck all that other shit that's going on that y'all got going on. As for me and my house, right? <laughs> I don't mean to be churchy, but as for me and my house, right? You know, we're we're not on that fuck shit that y'all got going on, and you know, in that in that big white building that's up there, right? But we're. I feel like this city has a chance to set an example. I agree, and I feel like the best example is to actually find somebody who represents what this city really looks like. Yes. And I feel like that's most important. But before we keep going, guys, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Yeah. Just past the Orange Court. Yeah. Just past the Orange Court. Yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to play that fly shit. Sly families don't ride shit. Even if you don't smoke. Get hot shit, lay back like this, that, this, that, this, that vibe Finally got off work like this, that, this, that ride to vacation Across 110th Street was blazing for the motherless children that related to Mahaya I know you tired of that you can't feel it in your heart Let the music be your secret lover like Atlantic Star New Birth Wildfly was that jamming shit by far And Eddie Kendrick's voice that have you singing in your car I know, I know, I know Marvin played at your home But that's the reason why your parents had to get it on That's the reason why you're probably here anyway don't fret, you can play that bullshit any day, but I'm just saying it's a whole catalog of analog, the warmest sounds you ever saw past the Oscar. You ain't jamming, you ain't jamming. You 
switch pairs to hardcore. You ain't jamming, you ain't jamming. Just pairs to hardcore. You ain't jamming, you ain't jamming. Just pairs to hardcore. Okay, and we're back. Uh, welcome back to the Thank God I'm Fresh podcast. I have Brando with me uh, from Montgomery. As you know, we are residing in Montgomery. We're going to switch it up and talking a lot about politics. We're talking about a lot about Montgomery living right, here. Right. I want to talk about music. Because <laughs> music <laughs> is what brings all people together. You know, listen to a lot of City Girls Free JT. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, the coldest. She Like, look, Young Miami really needs her out there. I was going to say Young Miami. Her stage, her stage presence is very lacking sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the one thing I re- somebody brought up a really good uh, point. One of my um, student volunteers at Alabama State. Shout out to Max. I love Max so much. She's like the greatest. She's gonna be a, a senator or the president of the United States one day. I, <laughs> I guarantee it. Um, <laughs> and she was saying, "Come Miami, be de- is depressed right now because our best friend in jail." And I'm like. <laughs> Girl, you got a point. I was gonna say that might be a, that might be the truest thing I've be heard. A valid point. I mean, I'm saying points were made. <laughs> Not gonna lie. I was like, sis, you're not wrong. She's Maybe not, she is. She's not. I mean, granted, sometimes you gotta push through. <laughs> Very true. And I mean, I, I mean, she. I'm hoping that she's hoping for the best and that I JT mean, will be free sooner rather than later. But I really think when it comes to City Girls, because City Girls was one of those things, and I know for me, my buy-in was kind of late. Not too late. But I, remember, too late. but I remember when I first heard their music, I was just like, oh, wow. Oh. And I mean, I was just like, Sounds am I like too old for this? Like, I was kind of just like, then it, <laughs> then it grew on me. You know what's really funny? <laughs> Kanisha said the same thing. <laughs> but, no, but I mean, that's, that's, that's first take for a lot of people. I mean, I've run it past people that I knew in college, high school, and they're just like, yeah, you kind of lost me. Like, I remember, I think, what was it? Was it period was the first? So whichever video is the one where they're in the courtroom. Because I don't think that's... I think that's what a bag at. I thought where the bag at was in the strip club. No, that is in a strip club because it has that great meme of Young Miami. Like, <laughs> right. Can you stop touching me? But no, I think it was. I I think it was. Uh, what do you call it? Period. And for me, it was kind of catchy. It had this like old school Trina sound, and that was kind of what drew me in. Yeah. But I remember I was, thinking I was there for the slip and slide. You know, <laughs> right. you know, shout out to shout out to DJ Greg Street, my uncle in Atlanta, DJing at V103. He did some time over there at Slip and Slide Records. He used to send me all. Those albums, jealous. Um, <laughs> except Trina, because he was like, "Nah, you're not listening to Trina." But when I first heard the baddest bitch, I was like, "You know what? I have decided to stand." Right, <laughs> and I mean that—that that was that was the thing that got me because I'm I, maybe it's the English major in me, maybe it's the, the maybe it's <laughs> I was going to say the English major in you should cringe because and I and I do, but I mean the lyrical content. I love the level of storytelling that they do, and going back to the whole JT and Young Miami thing, I think for Young Miami. For them to finally have made it, quote unquote, to where they are kind of this kind of cultural sensation now that's exceeding just black culture where there are white people who are just like, wait, city girls? Wait, what? Because, I mean, the thing that really put me on to them, I think, was 
uh, Insecure, one of my favorite episodes, the party lift episode. And they played where, where they play where the bag at. I remember immediately dancing and be like, I know those voices, I know that sound. And so of course I ended up finding out and remembering that it was the City Girls. But I think for Young Miami, there is this level of we made it, we're finally on. But my friend isn't here. But my friend isn't and here. And it reminds me of Migos when Offset got arrested. Yeah. And they were always like free Offset because they had made it. Right. All, they, had all, they were on the cusp of making it. And, you know, they're all, you know, related as well. So right. that's more so even an intersection of like, I feel like, you know, my if I haven't made it, my cousin hasn't made it, and right. I haven't made it. Right. Like, we're all trying to make it. Right. And so I feel like that's really important. I'm... Sometimes I'm really conflicted with City Girls because, you know, the homophobia sometimes. And, True. You know, this homophobic statements that they've made in the past. Um, I've learned to wrestle with that in different ways because it's always interesting when people separate the art from the artist. Yes. Um, it's a very nuanced conversation. I don't judge people for the music that they listen to because... Like hip hop, I love hip hop, but hip hop has been a very misogynistic, homophobic genre for definitely decades since its inception. Definitely. Um, but as hip hop has grown up, we mm-hmm. have seen it become something so extremely different. Like yes. Insecure actually made me start listening to more female rappers. Yeah. I made a pact to myself after season two. I was like, you know what? Because one, I think Insecure has the best music the best soundtrack on television i Say don't that. i don't know who picks them i don't know who the showrunner is who picks the music right but god bless them right because they really have an ear if it's Issa that's really picking out like which tracks that are going to be at what spots right i've seen my brother do that like mm-hmm. where he i remember season two of noah's arc they played Beyonce's Deja Vu and I remember like it took him forever to get that song clear yeah. and even in the DVD they don't play it because it would cost astronomical amounts of money for EV- for MTV to put that out but I remember how much it meant to him because when we I remember in editing when they walked into that club scene and you see Noah walk in and they walk into that gay club and Beyonce's playing in the background and I'm like I feel I, I get why you fought so hard for this. Mm-hmm. Like I understand, but when what a baguette came on for that party lift scene, like I I can see that scene in my that, head. That's why I said that's why and, it stuck with me. And when you think about like I I listen now to you know I was listening to Megan The Stallion you know freestyles and to see her evolution now become this you know this budding star has been amazing. Mm-hmm. Like to like fever is that like this is the summer of like. I love that artists are actually embracing like, yo, it's summer. Yeah. Pull them thighs out. <laughs> pull them titties out. It is time to hoe. It is time to get drunk. It is time to get high. It is time to, you know, find that two to three month summer boo that you really don't like. Right. You know, he just makes you feel good or she just makes you feel good. Right. And, and that's it. And yeah. I love it. Like, Ari Lennox's album has been absolutely amazing. I've heard that from like five people, and it is so on my Memorial Day weekend list to listen to that. Ari Lennox, uh, I feel like Ari Lennox, um, SZA, somebody tweeted this was like Ari Lennox, SZA, and like I love this new school, this new school age of um, and like Snow Allegro or. Um, different artists like that they make this music it, they, she called it black girls trying to figure shit out music because <laughs> <laughs> Ari Lennox like has a uh, has a song called New Apartment and mm-hmm. she's like um, 
I just got a new apartment. <laughs> I'm gonna walk around this bitch naked, and I was like, I know that feeling. <laughs> I very much know that feeling. I feel this, but it's, you know, it's it's hearing these stories of women trying to figure shit out yeah. and like dealing with niggas. Cause yeah, niggas is niggas. Right, <laughs> more times than not. <laughs> you know, I'm a nigga, and I understand <laughs> that niggas are niggas. <laughs> That's really hard. As Lizzo would say, why are men are great till they got to be great? <laughs> um, you know, hearing, you know, Rico Dasty's anger management, which is such a mood. <laughs> uh, it's like, but like hearing all these different, you know, women like rapping and right. telling their stories. And the one thing I tell people, I'm like, look, rap is now rap. Had, I love that rap has now evolved to the point where it has subgenres. Yes. Because now it's like if you want lyrical content, you can go here. Yes. And if you want to bop, you can go here. Right. If you want to feel like you sold, you know, cocaine in the 80s, you can go, go here. here. Right. There's there's so many options. And so when I like my like my my male friends, I'll be like, man, that music just don't move me. I'm like, bro, take the woman out of it. Right. And just listen to the music. Right. And I was like, if the music makes you bop. Then you like it. Right. Like just bop. You just bop and enjoy it. Don't exactly. worry about, oh, I need it to be, I need it to, you know, have 16 bars and like, don't think these women aren't rapping about some real shit. Right. It's just shit that you don't understand because exactly. you're not from, because it's not, because it's coming from a woman's perspective and shit that they're dealing with. What may not be cool, what may not be dope to you right. is dope to a whole bunch of people. Yeah. One yeah. thing that I've always understood. The one thing I always tell, you know, we talked about this earlier, that black people are not monolithic. And the one thing that I love is like when, I want to say his name is Terrence Vance, if I'm not mistaken, who released um, when the TV show, um, what is that, Random Acts of Flyness came out, right? Mm -hmm. And Random Acts of Flyness um, came out on, what is that, at, Ter yeah, Terrence Vance. And Random Acts Finest came out on HBO, and it is an extremely weird show. So I heard. Um, it's like, it's like Dave Chappelle's. It's like the Chappelle Show on acid. Okay. Um, it's it's the Chappelle Show, but not homophobic or transphobic. And I love that about it. But I had friends that were like, I'm not really fuck. I had a friend that said, I'm not really fucking with this, but I love the fact. That black people can create programming that I'm not into, but there is a subset of culture of that it people speaks to. that it speaks to, and I'm happy that they have a show that they can identify with. Because beforehand, this wouldn't have worked. Right. But now we are progressing in media, and we are progressing as a society where we can create these TV shows where they talk about people being trans, or they talk about people being gender neutral. Mm -hmm. and, you know, what is femininity? What is masculinity? Talking about you know, trying to define what masculinity is, talking about blackface, mm -hmm. you know, talking about gentrification and talk, you know, talking about black death and how it's yeah. always on a loop on television and how that makes you feel about it. So it challenges, you know, how it makes you feel in a subliminal message type way. And I always love that about it. And I get, and I tell people all this, I tell people, I'm like, watch it with a grain of salt because I guarantee it's probably, you're probably not going to like it. Yeah. Um, I tell people that going into it. Right. Um, and even when I tell people to listen to certain artists, like I told my friend to listen to Jungle Pussy one time, they were like, what, excuse me? I'm like, your name is Jungle Pussy. I'm telling you to listen to her because she's dope as fuck. Right. I'm like, don't be fooled by the name. Listen to the music and it'll take you there. Right. Um, but 
what are you listening to right now? Like, what's your go-to? That actually was the perfect segue because you had brought her up before, but Lizzo is kind of on my radar now because I don't know if a lot of people are like me, but I know maybe end of last year, early this year, her voice was in all these different commercials. Like, she had commercials for Weight Watchers. Like, it was all mm. these commercials where I'm like, that voice, like, something about that voice. Like, I think Worship Me was the song that was in, like, most of the commercials that were running. And there were a couple other songs. And I was just like, who is this? I'm like, who is this? And I have a homeboy, uh, shout out to my homeboy Lamar. He was trying to put me on Lizzo from Jump. And it was just like, there's something about her I like. I can't really put it into words, but there's something unique about her that I really, really like. For for me to get buy-in, probably by the time uh, Juice came out, um, there was this level of me being like, okay, well, who is this artist? What's her backstory? Because again, storyteller, journalism, media. Right. I wanted to know what her narrative kind of was or what her backstory was. And when I actually happened to catch her, she was in a Lycra bodysuit with with getting her Sasha flute on on the Today Show and she basically was like I was a band geek and I played the flute so don't be surprised if you come to my stage show and I'm playing the flute and like you said with these artists who are kind of embracing the where they are the, the level and the weirdness that they and right, the, weirdness the quirkiness quirk, instead of like the one thing that I love about this this era of female rap is that these women are not cookie cutter right Nicki Minaj right Cardi B, even. Cardi B, like, and I even tell people like, yes, Cardi B aesthetically from the way that she looks, obviously she looks like this cookie cutter type. But when you listen to the music, it's not like a Nicki Minaj, it's right. not like a Kim. It's you know, it's it's very reminiscent of of Kim and Fo of Foxy Brown. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, it and you know, I know people have their qualms with you know with Cardi because she's problematic <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yes, she is. But, I mean, like, she makes you bop and that's what I'm here for. You know who Lizzo reminds me of but I hate to say the comparison because she's just an amazing person and she's a legend in herself. Lizzo reminds me of Missy. Everyone's saying that. And now. I don't say that because she's big. Right. And I, I say that because of I see the creative yes. genius that yes. she is, the potential that she has to be a creative genius the the risk that she takes the uh, confidence the confidence the ownership of the self confidence and, that yeah. she has on stage is just unmatched and it reminds yeah. me like i was born in 1990 you know i'm 28 years old i remember every single phase of missy right Elliot. like i remember can't stand the rain yes i remember you know uh one minute man i right. remember she's a bitch right. i remember all i remember you know gossip you know gossip folks like all of those music videos are iconic yes you know and it was in the era where the music video was everything yes. and i feel like what lizzo has captured is it's like visually it's so pleasing to see her you know yes um the way that she is on camera and the way that she is on stage but she's taken that and transformed it into music i would have never thought twerking and playing a flute at the same time would not only be hilarious but right. would be extremely entertaining right like there was a I want to say she was on Kimmel or she was on when she was getting the quick weave put in with Listen, the red party cup I, 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 that I, was Kimmel I, I signed up that's that what I that's when I was I, like, I, I mean because I, I had coconut oil in 2016 <laughs> you know what I'm saying yeah because good as hell was really catchy yeah but when I saw that I was like but I mean, and I'll I mean, stand forever. That, and I'm just like, that's what I love about Lizzo. There's this unabashed, why not? 
And yeah. I mean, I, I, what was it? She was actually my woman crush Wednesday um, that I post on Instagram pretty much every week. She was this week's woman crush Wednesday because she's Essence's uh, digital cover. And in that cover story, there are a lot of comparisons about Missy and that sort of thing. And I mean, that level of creativity that you're talking about, I'm just a couple years older than you. So I was born in 87. And for me, there's this level of still remembering enough about the 80s in terms of campy videos and what's camp, mm. what's actually going to be mainstream and whatnot. So I remember enough of that. And with Missy Elliott, there was always this level that, especially as like a young creative, I always paired her and Busta Rhymes together. Listen, there was always going to be a fly-ass music video. Busta Rhymes is the most underrated music video oh, of course. maybe of all time. I'm, I'm right there. I don't I'm think right there with people you. understand like... Put your hands where your eyes can see. One of my all-time favorites. Um, gonna make your body wet with Janet Jackson. <laughs> was literally a video about sperm going into a vagina. Like, when the soldiers were marching in the video, <laughs> I was like, I thought that was the coolest shit as a kid. And then I became an adult and I was like, this whole video was about sex. Yeah. It was about ejaculation. That is right. crazy. But, I, but I'm saying it was that level of creativity where I could just imagine what the, the meetings were of this is what we want the visual for this to look like. And I mean, Missy Elliott, like people, people, shout out to the five people who may remember this video, remember this song. But one of my all time forever Missy Elliott jams is Beat Me 911. Don't ask me why. Beat Me 911. Beat Me 911. <laughs> featuring 702 and Magoo. Oh, shit, I remember and that song. Magoo. Magoo of Timbaland and Magoo. But I can tell you, Missy is in this weird kind of geisha like like bang and long ponytail mm -hmm. which was kind of different for her and then you've got 702 who are kind of like these backup singing dolls like the concept to me was just so intriguing I mean that was back when like the box music television you control was this mm -hmm. huge thing so apparently in my area everybody wanted to see beat me 911 as much as I did so when that video would come on I just remember the colors I remember the makeup I remember the styling and I remember being like Missy seems like one of those creatives like me Missy seems like one of those people who color moves her imagery moves her being involved in the creative process of what this is going to look like like socket to me is another video that I remember being like this concept is bananas. Yes. Like, what is she going to do next? Or how is this going to look next? Like, when I think of run-of-the-mill, quote-unquote, Missy Elliott videos, I think the closest I come to run-of-the-mill is, like, Hot Boys. And I'm like, I don't know if that's because Eve and them were in it, and they were like, I'm not putting on an inflatable suit, or what the case <laughs> like might have been. Doing that shit, right, man. but I'm just like, you've got one minute, man, in all these videos that, like, tra like transformed what my concept of this is camp but this is creative and this yeah. is camp and this still goes with when the I think about Missy you know what I think about what? the power that has the intelligence <laughs> that has the clearance that that has the access that that has the influence that that has no I mean but for real like I've heard it you know obviously you know Kid Fury said it a lot of times like mm -hmm. if you don't give Missy Elliott a fucking video Vanguard award yeah. for MTV like y'all have played y'all fucking selves Period. like like for free JT, uh, <laughs> like I don't understand how like this woman who has been so great for music doesn't yes. have the accolade she deserves. Another an, uh, another song I forgot was um, not uh, Wuha uh, got, got you all in check. check. Um, Give me some more. Yes, which was the first. Buster Rhymes video, which was the weirdest shit I had ever. <laughs> it was filmed with a fisheye lens. Yes. 
and I remember it was this little monster like running through mm-hmm. and it was this guy rapping unbelievably fast yep. and it was just like I don't know who this is I don't know what this is but I love it mm-hmm. I remember uh, no. put, your, put Your Hands Where Your Eyes Can See was a total remake of Coming, Coming to, to America. America and I was like who thinks of this shit Coming to America and I mean that level of styling in videos because if I'm not wrong and somebody can feel free to google it but I think June Ambrose styled that video and it's just like to really nail it and kind of tie it into this and bro that was in 1997 that's what I'm saying like that looked like some shit like if you watched that in 1997 excuse me but if you watched that in 1997, you would have thought that was some shit like out of 2003. Yeah. That's what I said. With, <laughs> with Busta and Missy, there's always been this level of them being ahead of their time. Like one of the other videos, it to this day, it probably would give me the creeps if I were to see it. But another really popular Busta Rhymes video that I remember from back then was Dangerous. Like, Oh my God. When he was like, can we call that white face? Like the level well, can of- you could. The, like the level of prosthetics, like this is pre-white chicks. Like this is- that was when I knew there was a dedication to artistry with he and, like exactly. I said, with Missy Elliott that you weren't getting with a lot of other artists. And I mean, I'm also a teenager of the early 2000s, so I'm very familiar with the Lazy Club video of let's put on some Air Forces and a headband and mm-hmm. pour liquor in an expensive nightclub or yeah. have a dance sequence. But it's about the it's about the jewelry. It's about the women. It's about the video vixens. Like, shout out to video vixens from the early 2000s. Look. Like, like Listen, I still want to meet, I still want to meet Melissa Ford and one day interview her and just ask her about life. <laughs> but I, I, I always wonder, like that era was so crisp, but it was also so dangerous because these women were like in very dangerous spaces with these men who expected true. things from them. Very but true. But I've always wanted to have those conversations with those women mm-hmm. and sometimes with those men, like that yeah. back then, that have you know put those things in their past and maybe have acknowledged the wrong that they've you know the wrongs that they've that they've committed just because it's such a like that was such a weird it's like bro it the tip drill video was probably the craziest thing <laughs> I think I've ever seen in my fucking life <laughs> he swiped a credit card down a stripper's ass and I was like whoa <laughs> I, why am I up at 2.30 in the Right. And I mean, that was the talk of that was the talk of of high school. Like back then, you weren't seeing things like that. And it's crazy because you have your Melissa Ford, your Gloria Velez's, your Buffy the Bodies, who they made these names for themselves and made these kind of crazy, problematic, like careers out of that sort of stuff. And I mean, the thing that really kind of brings me back to that sort of time and you kind of look at, oh, the big pimping video, it is exploitation. There is a lot of misogyny. And I mean, for me, Confessions of a Video Vixen and the copy that I lifted from a homegirl in my dorm while I was doing laundry kind of opened my eyes to what the behind the scenes of the whole video girl Mm, era was like. It was never a book that I read, but it was always something I was intrigued in. But I was also very young when it came out. So I was like, I'll get this when I when I get to it. Yeah. I definitely read it when I was 18. Um no shame. And it like I said, it really put me on game because Again, she does a great job, whether you believe Corinne Steffens or not, she does a really good job of setting this stage of this is what the video call time is like. And you might have seen the Danger video or the Big Pimpin' video and thought that it was all Lux and we were on a yacht or we were out here but in the desert and it's really exotic. But she she does a really good job of shedding light on the reality of what those spaces, like you said, were like and how threatening those spaces were and how a lot of the men in those spaces were really predatory or really wanted something mm. for 
for nothing. So it's like, yo, I flew you out to, you know, I flew you out here, you know, for this music video, or they paid for you to come out here. Like, you gonna have to do something strange for a piece of change. And I'm like this quick pro quo, right? You know, attitude to these women, and these women were treated like, you know, accessories. Mm -hmm. And also, I think one of the biggest things was like as we progressed through music videos, we saw these women become like I remember in the '90s. Um, especially in early 2000s, there were so many, uh, from the colorism standpoint, there were so many dark-skinned women in, in yes. music videos in the 90s. And then as we progressed, lighter everything got lighter. Lighter, lighter and more racially ambiguous. Yeah. It's now when you watch music videos, it's like, I can count how many dark-skinned women are in a video. Yeah. And I think that's also a really, you know, just a, such a, it's, it's such a disappointment. But also at the same time, I'm like, Honestly, wish these women wouldn't in these videos at all. Honestly, I get why girls, why women enjoy twerking on other women, uh, <laughs> or because like, look, man, like there's no expectation. Right. You feel safe. Right. I get it. Right. Men are trash. <laughs> like <laughs> in a lot of ways, yeah. In a lot of ways, like I mean, yeah. I, I get it. I am a man, and I can acknowledge that I am trash. Yeah. And I mean, again, it it's all about how we're enculturated because when you think about it, and it's so funny that you kind of brought up misogyny and whatnot a little earlier, especially as it relates to music. One of the first articles I wrote as a student journalist was about misogyny and hip hop. That was kind of my focus. But the song that was the jumping off point back then was Baby Bend Over by Field Mob. Uh, when, what a song. When Light Poles and Pine Trees came out, and Baby Bend Over hit in Tallahassee. I don't know about where everyone else lived or what everybody else was doing. I know music in Florida hits a little bit different than And it anywhere. hits so hard. Shout out to Florida music and Florida DJs. It, it, it really hits. Like, I remember I went to visit Florida one time and I was just like, you know, I get it. Yeah. It's kind of like when you go to New Orleans and you hear bounce music for the first time. Yeah. Like, I don't think people like, back that ass up is 25 years old. I want to say that again. Back That Ass Up is 25 years old and it might be one of the most iconic hip-hop songs in its in the genre's history and it is a bounce song. Yeah. It is essentially and it really like a bounce song is actually faster mm -hmm. by, by beats per minute standards but the simple fact that it is influenced by bounce music when you hear Manny Fresh talk about the making of that song Yeah. You know, and you really, you really have to think about like, yo, songs really. Well, it's yes, yeah, no, it's been out for no, twenty not, years. It's been out twenty years, not twenty five. Because taking nine, over from the nine nine and two thousand, like it really changed the way. Like it put New Orleans music on. Like I lived in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, which is only about an hour, maybe maybe less than two. I want to say it's an hour thirty minutes away. Okay. Um, I remember walking on my, out on my grandmother's porch. And seeing girls across the street on their porch, and it came on on the radio, and it they lost their minds. Yeah, like it was the craziest song that had ever hit the radio waves. I I'd never seen anything like it. Yeah, it was, and it was so infectious. And the same way I felt about that is the same way I felt about you know Uncle Luke and right. 500 beats a minute yeah. <laughs> like it, like it didn't matter like it was it's a different world like I've spoken to my uncle briefly about Freaknik mm -hmm. 
because he was there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was like, you know, we don't talk about Freaknik. <laughs> it's like Fight Club. It's, it's like, like if you know, you know. First rule about Freaknik, you don't, don't talk, talk about, about Freaknik. Freak um, I've always, my dream is to do a podcast episode where I sit down with the creator of Freaknik from Morehouse and ask him, like, so, you know, you created probably one of the greatest phenomenons mm-hmm. that has ever existed in black culture to the point where Atlanta said... There will, they have a law right. <laughs> that says there will never be another freaking right. right. in the city of Atlanta. <laughs> right. Like, nothing. Right. <laughs> so it's like crazy. I'm like, how do you feel about that? Yeah. Like, that guy is still, like, those guys that created Freaknik are still alive. They oh, were yeah. College students in the 80s, and it ran for like 10, it, 15, 10, 15 years. years. Yeah. Like, it's almost like how we think about, you know, Kenny Palooza or, yeah. or now what's Duce Palooza. Like, they started a party scene in New York and now it's an actual mm-hmm. thing. And it's like, yo, y'all could have did that now. Yeah. <laughs> like, people often say a lot, like, yo, I want another freak nigga. I'm like, no, y'all don't. No. I'm like, everybody would be in jail by the, by the next day. <laughs> right. Maybe just, by the end of the evening. It's just different. I mean, it's just like it, when they've tried to recreate Woodstock, the vibe is just different. Like, even like with, you know, Coachella, like Coachella is now just a big, you know, capitalistic, you mm-hmm. know, opportunity because they're charging you an arm and a leg for, you know, a three day weekend. And I'm not going to lie, I would have spent every dime I could to see Beyonce. Now that I've seen her coming, uh, I totally would have been right there with you. I would have spent every single dollar. <laughs> if I was broke, it's okay. Right. I have family in Los Angeles. I could have stayed there for a while until I just made enough money to get a ticket. <laughs> to it's get okay. back home. <laughs> to get back home. It's okay. It's cool. But I get it. Like, it's you can't recreate something that was that magical at that time. Right. And honest, like with I get it. I get why I I, I understand why people were more so saying they wanted to bring back Freak Nick because it was like, well, white folks got Coachella. Right. You know, and the Essence Fest is really more for your auntie and your uncle. Very true. Unless, you know, there's an artist that you really fuck with that's pulling up. You know, but Mary gonna be there every year because go Mary. Um, <laughs> she is there every, every year. year in all white. <laughs> I was gonna say some kind of way. In some kind of white, and I just feel like her and Lisa Ray are just competing to be the White Ranger. Um, <laughs> who's it gonna be? <laughs> um, but it's it's unfortunate to. You know, that we don't have that. I love that Issa Rae kind of delved into that into season three of Insecure. Like, you know, we don't have our own, you know, Mm. festival. I mean, I could say Rolling Loud, but I don't think Rolling Loud is really... Because a lot of white folks go to Rolling Loud. Right. Um, And they be doing a lot of niggatry at Rolling Loud. There's a lot of (laughs) niggas that got shot at and got shot this year. And I was just like, y'all doing a whole lot. Mm. And I don't deal with niggas after 5 o'clock. So, (laughs) (laughs) nothing good with niggas comes... Nothing good comes out of hanging out with niggas after 5 o'clock at all. Mm. Um, Mm. It's... If I don't know, if I could have... If I could have a music festival for mm. black people, I would, if you could have a music festival, where would it be? <sighs> no, see, and I'm, I'm, I guess I'm kind of biased because I always used to want to check out Made in America, but there was just something about the whole travel and it being so short for the amount that I would have to come up like from the South to invest that I level of money. I forgot about the Roots Festival because that one did it. That's a good one. But it's, it's not really a festival. It's more, it's a picnic. It's like a one day thing. Right. You know, you could say Afropunk, but 
like I know there's been so many like confusing and controversial things about Afropunk, but I have friends that still go and they enjoy it. I was gonna say I have a colleague she loves she loves Afropunk. I mean, yeah. Um, I love the whole thing behind Afrofuturism. I love it being displayed in places like that. But man, if I could have a music festival, a black music festival mm. at that, my top cities actually surprisingly Atlanta is not number one um, it would honestly be hmm, it would be a it would be a tie between Houston New Orleans and Charlotte I would actually love I was gonna lean towards Houston but I actually would love to see like a sort of like black mecca kind of festival in Charlotte. I think that would be really Charlotte. Cool. I, I know, and the only reason I would say Charlotte is because Charlotte is becoming the next Atlanta. Yeah, um, it is one of the most popular cities for black people, especially between like eighteen and thirty-five. Definitely. Um, and on top of that, it is extremely like on the rise. The only reason and. Also, a lot of black folks live in North and South Carolina. Very true. Like a lot of, and they do not get access to good. And they don't, you know, they don't, you know, the closest thing they can. Like I love that Pharrell started the Something in the Water festival, which I thought was a hit. Yeah, I would have loved to see Missy and all of those different artists that were there. Like that was wild. Just seeing the photos from it was like, whoa! I'm super jealous. I didn't go. Yeah. Um. But I really like to see Charlotte get that. Like, I could say Atlanta, but, you know, yeah. everybody goes to Atlanta. And see, that that's the one thing that I was going to say, and I, I think I'm kind of biased, my, only because I just love Atlanta and I don't even live there. But I always go, me and my friends have made, like, an annual kind of pilgrimage to one music fest every September <laughs> in, in Atlanta like like we we I'm plan to, for it I want to go see Anderson Pack in Atlanta that's going to be the closest he's going to get I don't think he's coming to Alabama because nah, yeah I was um, going to say Atlanta might just be as far as you I'm, look I need to see nobody says the word bitch better than Anderson Pack <laughs> nobody he says it like a 1970s coked out <laughs> pimp on, on the side of the street I heard him say, bitch, I want you in my life for all of my days. I was with my ex-girlfriend in the car driving from Gulfport. And she was like, who is that? That's the sexiest thing I've ever heard. She was like, you can never say that. Him? <laughs> him? He can say that shit all day long. Was, and it, I mean, it, even when you talk about the, the diversity in the artists that we listen to now, like one of the artists that really kind of, I'm not going to say shocked me, but one artist that I really felt this really close tie to in terms of his voice and the expression in his music was BJ the Chicago Kid. Oh, my God. Like, people kept trying. That year, people kept trying to get me to choose between BJ the Chicago Kid and Chance the Rapper. And unpopular opinion, something about Chance the Rapper just does not... Something about it just doesn't vibe with me. I used to like Chance, but as Chance started to really show his personality through social media... Maybe that's it. He became more annoying. I think that's that for me has a lot to do. Chance with it. the rapper is that annoying youth minister at church <laughs> that tries to you know apply what's going on in the Bible to pop culture, like and meet you where you are. And I, he tried, like he tries to meet you where you are, but it's like it's not really working. Yeah, and you just like nah, gee, I'm not feeling it. Yeah, like that's my whole thing. Like I used to really like Chance. I enjoyed. Um, 
second mixtape, not the first one, um, Acid Rap. Okay. I really enjoyed his first album, and I enjoyed Surf as well because I think Sunday Candy is one of the. It makes me think about my grandmother. I can't stop. I can't stop listening to that song. Okay, but um, I will say, BJ the Chicago Kid is maybe one of the most underrated voices in music. Definitely. When him, I remember when him and Anderson Pack performed at the Soul Train Awards and mm-hmm. beat on BET, and I remember everybody in the crowd was like, "Who is this nigga exactly. with this raspy ass voice?" Exactly. And who is this nigga that sounds like he's had the worst breakup ever in his voice? He really has. Like, his voice has more pain than Anthony Hamilton has. It does, and, and he's when, way younger. And he's way younger. And I'm like, who broke your heart? Right, because I mean, if you hear his one of one of my favorite, probably most slept on BJ the Chicago Kid jams is Love Inside, and mm, to me, Love song. Inside is like a perfect like night playlist jam. Mm-hmm. But you hear this kind of like pain riddled with kind of like yearning in this really young guy. But it sounds mm-hmm. like this raspy like I wrote a song about it. Like me here, here it go. It's one of those kind of kind of. Kind of older vibes where you're just like, where did this young man get all this soul soul from? Yeah, that's how I feel about um, what is his Saba from Chicago, one of my okay. favorite rappers from Chicago, and he had this guy on there called The Mind. Okay, and he's one of his his, his backup singer for um, Busy and the first song, and when I his voice comes onto the track, it just sounds like there is so much pain. In his voice, it doesn't. And I, to to define what I mean by pain, I don't mean pain by straining your voice. What right. I mean by is like, it's when you hear that woman hollering in church <laughs> when she's singing when she's singing that hymn or whatever song or whatever church whatever gospel song that is, and you hear the pain. Right. It's hearing it, that pain is that testimony that lived experience and that lived experience in that that song that she's singing really applies and resonates in her life. Like when I listen to BJ the Chicago Kid, when I you know old John Legend used to feel like that. Listen. I, I could really flip this table right now because this is a conversation I've had at length for at least five to seven years. I actually just had this conversation with my homeboys in Birmingham like two weeks ago. Here's my thing with John Legend and no, no shade to John Legend. I feel like he jumped the shark for me at Save Room. I thought he was trying something different. And you know that, what? Save Room is one of my favorite albums. He, I thought he jumped the shark at Greenlight. Now, see, I liked Greenlight, maybe. But I, I like all three albums. It gave... I won't... I'm going to let you finish your point. Okay. I, I'm, and I, I won't interject. Okay. Because like, I really... Because I really and truly enjoy Safe Room. So, here was my thing. When I heard Get Lifted... I became this musical drug addict. There was this level of, I did not think I was going to like this entire album, maybe except one or two songs or one or two interludes, but here we are. Because up until that point, and this was kind of the way my parents had raised me, mm-hmm. I was more of a singles fan. We had so many cassette singles of the songs we just like. We were not necessarily buying the whole album unless it was like, like I think the Fuji's The Score was one of the only 
full album. albums. And then, of course, the Miss uh, Education of Lauryn Hill. Mm -hmm. Those are two albums on cassette. I had those both on cassette. I was going to say, we, I know we did. Like, I think my so dad... So did all black, black people really all did? Listen, because <laughs> Killing Me Softly was on our answering machine. So I took... I, listen, listen. And, and I still... Anyway... With Get Lifted, there was this level of, I had heard John Legend when he did like other projects and whatnot, and he was kind of featured on a lot of people's songs, and there was this level of kind of like pre-Napster, Napster was around, right? right? There was this level of how can I get all the music, the music in a, that, that is out that he That's exactly how I felt. Because it was just like, there's this level of age and experience right. in this voice from this guy who looks so young and plays this right. piano. And so when Get Lifted came out, there was this level of there was something for everybody. There was some sort of song that you can yeah. can jam to. I mean, I Can Change is one of my favorite songs on that. You know what song I, I love on that album? It's the greatest cheating song ever. She Don't Have to Know? Yes! <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. It was, there were these songs that there was I don't, I don't think people give John Legend Credit for creating one of the beta, one of the best ain't shit nigga songs in history. Listen, if you have never listened to Get Lifted, please do yourself a favor and, and stream <laughs> From it top to bottom. Exactly, I like because it, it has a no skip. Like John and and as as problematic as Kanye is, Kanye put his whole entire foot into that fucking album. Literally, like it sounded. Amazing! Like I was 14 years old when I heard that album. That was the same year. 2004 was the same year that the Love Below and Yep and which Speaker is, Box and Speaker Box. Yep. Out, which like niggas talk about be like I, I always laugh at people who get mad. Like Frank Ocean won't come out with music, <laughs> bitch. I've been listening. I've been waiting for. <laughs> I'm gonna say that again. Bitch, I have been waiting for an Andre 3000 solo album since 2004. You and I both. Don't tell me shit. You and I both. Because the controversy about that, because I was maybe like 17 when the album came out. You saw Hey Ya and how Hey Ya like became this stratospheric hit. There was just this level of, this man has all this talent. And I mean, the conversation that a lot of us were not having, but probably should have been having, was, okay, who really had the better album? Because I know I was secretly having that conversation with friends, and people were you like... You know what? I go back and I listen to that album every once in a while, both of them. Mm -hmm. It's really not about what's better. I think they made two different albums for... I think this is where we where we delve into this subgenre of hip-hop. Yes. And so it's really two different moods for two different type of people. Very true. So it's not necessarily what's better because if you go back and listen to Speaker Box... Yeah. Big Boy is maybe in a top-tier echelon of Southern rapper that you have ever seen in your entire life. And he further solidifies that with all of the solo projects that he's released since then facts and it really like i remember i used to hate speaker box at 14 years old <laughs> i didn't get it because i that's was that's how i felt i was more entrenched in the love below it I didn't was make too. sense it had the best interludes ever where are my panties is the greatest interlude <laughs> how did i know you were gonna bring that up time i don't care what anybody says the guy Fuck that. I <laughs> if I was drunk and it was my birthday anyway. A mood. A big ass mood. But I mean, that was the thing for me. And like I said, I, I am unabashedly admitting that I kind of I kind of skewed more towards the love below because 
there was always this level of intrigue. I mean, I knew they were talented together, but seeing these separate albums and kind of saying, okay, these are two diverging paths. Mm -hmm. What am I going to get from either of these? There was just something sonically about where Andre 3000 took me. I mean, prototype, she's alive. Like I remember Beyonce like in awe at the Grammys. (laughs) It wasn't the Grammys, it was either the Grammys or it was MTV, it was the VMAs, and he was performing prototype. And it was like one of the first and only times that he performed it. Yeah. And she was just in awe singing. Yeah. And I'd never seen Beyonce in awe before ever in my life. And this is early, you know, this is like Beyonce. And she was just like, yeah, but this is why I consider Andre one of the greatest rappers of all time. Definitely, people people tell me all the time, like, can you really consider him the greatest if you never came out with a solo album? Like, yeah, you because anytime can. he drops a verse, exactly, you listen, exactly. <laughs> like the verse on uh, Ventura Anderson Pack's album, I remember Genius broke that down, <laughs> and you were like, what? <laughs> but back to John, yeah, so. Save Room was the second tape, obviously the second album. Like Get Lifted is a classic yes. in, in every sense of the word. Yes. I'm gonna tell you why I love Save Room. Okay. Because it totally changed my mind about the way it really defined when after the late nineties and of Neo Soul, Neo Soul was pretty much a dead genre. And Save and what I will say about Get Lifted is Get Lifted kind of rebirthed that. True. But it was also him. He had a lot of features with a lot of different artists that gave you like a hip hop, like give you this hip hop, you know, soul or hip, you know, R&B, you know, type feel. I felt like the reason I love John, I love John Legends once again so much is because there are on, there's only one feature on it. And I don't even think it's even, I don't, and actually, there is no feature on it. It's really just him. He's right. like, no, I'm going to play this piano. Yeah. And I'm going to sing my ass off. <laughs> right. And sing my ass off. He did. Yeah. Save Room reminds me of Fall in Pennsylvania or Fall in Washington. Anytime I hear the, I'd only play once again in the fall. Mm-hmm. I specifically want to be in love with somebody when I'm listening. Come on, say album. I mean, because like it's a sentimental album for right. me. When I was 16, I like, that was the album of my twenty of my two thousand six because I was in love with somebody at my young ass age and I, like <laughs> listening to Save Room like the the the, the phrase Save Room for my love meant so much to me. Heaven only knows, right. stereo, show me, each day gets better. Right, you know. Slow dance was, oh my god! Like my mom used to play that shit all the time. <laughs> like, and then not only that, but. It was the progression from she don't have to know to again to another again. True. And I don't think people really understand that that was a three-part song. Right, yeah. People thought that it was just, oh, she don't have to know was just an off-chance thing. No, right. again was the continued story of that. <laughs> and then another again, again was the continued story of that. And right. it was like, yo, is John talking about toxic relationships? Because I really <laughs> need that in my life. Yeah. Like even Maxine, like the Maxine interlude, like, like after where did my baby go it's like yo i really really like like and it was just different like yeah. it was a different sound it wasn't was I, it, I liked it because it wasn't what i was expecting right and it was it, it's almost the same thing for for andre and, and big boys like 
I would have never expected Andre to give me Hey Ya. No. And it is a classic song. Yes. It will be played for the rest of time. Oh, yes. But when I was in eighth grade, when that song came out, <laughs> I was just like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Doesn't sound like any Outkast song. Doesn't sound like Bombs of Baghdad. Doesn't no. sound like Miss Jackson. It doesn't sound like Jazzy Bells. It doesn't sound like anything. Right. Like an Outkast song. And then, like, you delve into the music and you got Happy Valentine's Day, you got Prototype, Dracula's got Wedding, Blue, you got Dracula's yeah. Wedding, you got the autobiography of Andre Benjamin, yeah. you got um, uh, the remake of uh, Favorite Things, yeah. like, you got Roses, the, Roses, like, and the intro, like, the videos, <laughs> the videos. Yeah, again, like, that creativity of that, I never would have thought this is what this visual would have looked and like. Even, and for Big Boy as well, like, so many risks taken in the videos as well. Like, mm-hmm. ghetto music was amazing. Like, yes. Patti LaBelle. I was going to say Patti LaBelle with the feature. Because yeah. I remember, I was like, get, like, when I heard ghetto music, I'm like, is that fucking Patti LaBelle? <laughs> and I was 14 years old, I'm like, Mama, you gotta hear this. I'm like, they cussing, but <laughs> it's Patty LaBelle. It's Patty fucking LaBelle. Yeah. And then she was in the music video. I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. This is fucking amazing. Like, <laughs> like you know, you got the way you move and like, oh, which, which is, is a classic, a classic. Barber, like cookout classic. Right. <laughs> like, right. I don't think people realize, like, and that's why I say when people, I tell people always to go back and listen to Speaker Box and give it another try. Because mm-hmm. if you really, really appreciate hip hop, Speaker Box is one of is it's not the superior project, right? Well, what this is what I'll say as a if if you are into rap, is a superior project. Mm-hmm. If you are into you know other subgenres of hip hop, which I always felt like Andre was always a part of, he was just right. in a rap group, right? I feel like you'll always you'll always enjoy the love below. Right. I just feel like people didn't give it give Speaker Box the love it deserved. I would agree. And you know, with John going back to John, you know, I look at John's you know discography from Get Lifted to Once Again to Evolver. I still enjoy Evolver. Um, I love Greenlight. Everybody knows. Yeah. Uh, no other love with Estelle. Um, let me see here. There was a song with oh, quickly with Brit, with Brandy because I love anything Brandy does. Um, the voice, <laughs> she is the voice. Um, wake up with the roots and John Legend was I feel like is a classic. Yes, combo album is one of the and they're all covers. I yeah. don't think people ever get that. Like no. some people thought that those were original songs. I'm like no, that's Donny Hathaway. Yeah, you know that's Bill Withers. Like y'all miss like. And then when you go listen to the originals, they sound just as good. But yeah. it's just his voice yes. in that band. Yeah. Unmatched. Now, see, and I think that album was when he circled back because when that Wake Up cover came out, and I, I back then I was in this huge Melanie Fiona space. And when Melanie Fiona's voice hit that track. And I remember like, being like, so take my money now. Take my money. <laughs> take my money now. Because again, it was this perfect marrying of like these voices. And like I said, that to me was kind of like when John had stumbled back into that really dope soul space of that first mm-hmm. album. And like I said, that was kind of like when I fell back in love and was like, okay, I can get behind this and then album. He, and then he went into the hardcore ballads and he was like, I'm going to do Love in the Future. Yeah. Like, I wasn't mad at Love in the Future. Uh, one, because it gave me one of my favorite songs, which is Dreams, even though it's not the full version of Dreams. He's only played Dreams live in its full version, its entirety. Um, but to get it on there, I was like, yo... 
like to sing, you know, not even, um, I want to say, what, what song is it? Uh, I want to say it's a Layla Hathaway song, uh, Angel. And mm. it was just an interlude. And it just to get him on that, I was like, yeah. whoo, let me tell you something. <laughs> like, uh, just to get him to sing that, like, that was just amazing. Um, but I mean, I don't. I don't hate John for like going for like diving into the deep end. I never really listened to Darkness and Light, um, but that legendary Christmas, a bop. I I've a heard fucking. I've I played heard. Lad, this past Christmas, I played it the whole way through while we were cooking in the kitchen, <laughs> and my mom was like, "John got a Christmas album." <laughs> I was like, "Girl, everybody." Take. First of all, everybody got a Christmas album. Everybody has a Christmas album, but I'm really happy. I feel like John Legend's voice was made for Christmas. It, it, it sounds like Nat King Cole. That I can get behind. It really sounds like Nat King Cole. Um, anything else you got, man? Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I could talk for hours. Um, and not even with the Roscato, but... John the Roscato. Uh, <laughs> once again. Because um, this podcast was supposed to be like an hour and 30 minutes. It's going to be like two hours. You guys are just going to deal with it. Um, we've talked about a lot of different shit. Um, I, I think I'm going to name this podcast... Um, Come back to us, John Legend. Uh, <laughs> we miss you. Um, I was going to say, have you listened to Igor yet? I've not. I will tell you something about Tyler, the creator. It's problematic because this man has been in the past. And I've heard my friends say, you know, I really don't like this whole he's obsessed with white guys shit. And I don't really know. I really don't know if John, if, if Tyler really is really queer or not. It's never really been something I really cared about. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I, it is a very, I, I call it some uh, a news. Uh, somebody who reviewed it called it the love below on acid. Okay. And I was like, okay, I'll listen. Um, <laughs> and when I listen to it, I'm just like, yo, this is some really good music. Okay. Like the one, like the one thing I get about people, like. Tyler made a lot of homophobic, transphobic music in his early times. And to see him evolve into a person, like, when you listen to Flower Boy, that is just absolutely amazing. <laughs> like, the the artistry that that takes, you know, to make that type of music. You can really tell that Tyler grew up in California really being influenced by Pharrell. Mm. And, like, you really feel that influence in this album. Like, when you finally hear Pharrell's voice on Igor, you're like, okay, this makes so much sense. Okay, But it's just watching this person, you know, being, like, it's really this great story of this person being in love with somebody who's in love with this woman. And he's like, yo, I can treat you so much better than her. Mm. And, you know... You know them falling out and figuring out that they're not made for each other. It's like, but can we still be friends? And I feel like that is beautiful in itself. It's very hard to tell that type of story. Very true. And like he does a really, really great job at that. And I'm really impressed with how he just orchestrates these albums and strings together this music and how he puts it all together. And it's just like, yo, like I can listen to Flower Boy all day long. Like, it's one of my favorite albums, like, from top to... It's one of those things that I can... It came out in 2017, and I still play it from top to bottom, no mm-hmm. skips. Igor has given me the same feeling, but and I re- the reason why is because it's a story. You kind of have to listen to it from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. Of course, it has its standouts, but 
I would definitely encourage you to listen to it and tell me what you think. Might have to add Tyler back to my list. Tyler's Igor is definitely one that I, I would tell you to pick up. Um, okay. But any any music suggestions for the listeners? Ooh, music besides suggestions. Besides Lizzo. I was going to say besides Lizzo. Um, let's see. And it's crazy because everybody I'm listening to now is either somebody I've listened to for years and I don't know if it's because I'm now getting to that stage where it's kind of just like the music from my high school years has a little more ye- meaning or all these like mm. memories and nostalgia tied to it. But I am a sucker from for like that early 2000s neo uh, early soul. Two, early like, 2000s neo soul is undefeated. It, I mean, it, it it's always a vibe. I mean, usually and no lie, like being totally honest. I'm one of those people who still really will turn on music to go to sleep. And if I'm not listening to like Sade Radio and Pandora, shout out to people who still use Pandora, by the way. Um, still very effective. <laughs> definitely. Um, but if I'm not listening to Sade Radio to go to sleep or Jill Scott Radio, I'm listening to like Luther Vandross Radio or something like that. That kind of craft these perfect. Is this Big Luther or not Little Luther? This is a mix. It's a good mix. So you've got like Promise Me Luther with like Power of Love Luther and then in between they'll sprinkle in like some, who do they usually play on that station? They'll sprinkle in some Faith Evans, a little Aaliyah, like it's really interesting and I think it's because I've been like using Pandora so long and kind of tailoring my stations. A cheer is not a cheer. <laughs> <laughs> you get a little of that too. Um, but I, I'm, I'm in that zone where like that's the music that makes me happy. That music with like that lyrical content that when I was 14, 15, 16, 17 that made you feel that something? made me feel like this is what love is going to feel like mm. or this is what good old classic soul feels like or when Angie Stone sings I wish I didn't miss you it's like I want to know Ooh. who she was talking about who was trifling as fuck because I'm just like I have an idea but I'm just like <laughs> she was committed and yeah. I mean that song the bass line the OJ sample like everything just works and it was great to be a teenager like I said who had this access to music and be like that sets a mood and being that young to be like that's what love feels like to me or you know what I imagine my first breakup is going to feel something like that That that's hot I mean all these artists that were, were around or trying different things then that are kind of just now starting to get their due or they're doing these festivals or these shows or these random pop-ups in different places there people are just like oh I went back and listened to her first album and it was bomb why did nobody tell me this 14 15 years ago or oh when I was a kid she was singing about this and I didn't know what it was but now that I've, I've listened to it over and over like I get it like one of those albums for me before we wrap this up has to be Sade's Love Deluxe oh my god I I have a classic I have not asked for a CD for Christmas since George W. Bush was in office the first time but two years ago I asked for Love Deluxe in CD so I could listen to it physically in the car and listen to every song. I mean, when I started my Sade radio station, I was reintroduced to those songs because as a kid, No Ordinary Love was the one song from that album that I always mm. knew. But kind of hearing Pearls and all those other songs, you're kind of just like, this whole album is a vibe. Like, they mm. actually did a set, I think it was at Venkman's in Atlanta, where over, I want to say it was what was it Valentine's Day this year they actually did a reimagining of Sade's Love Deluxe and I hated that I missed it because I'm like that album goes that album goes from start to finish that album is a vibe 
that's why I wanted the actual physical copy because it, it's great. And I mean, rediscovering older music like that or those songs from like, oh, I can't believe I used to skip this. Or I can't believe now that I have a little more experience under my belt, this song resonates so much more, has deeper meaning for me. That's that's one of my favorite kind of musical adventures these mm. days, of kind of rediscovering those old hits and old favorites and kind of dusting them, dusting them off. Oh, okay. Well... I would definitely suggest before we guys wrap up because we got like two minutes there (laughs) in this but um, I would definitely suggest this week if you haven't checked out Megan Thee Stallion Fever by Now You Sleep um, (laughs) as fuck uh, I would like to tell you to check out uh, Levin Kelly Levin Kelly's uh, Low Tide which I'm really enjoying R&B singer I don't know if you've ever checked him out before mm-hmm. that beige bastard can sing down <laughs> um, Pink Sweats Volume 2 EP is always amazing um, uh, Kadaja uh, Bonet is if you have not heard Remember the Rain that is some amazing stuff um, of course Ari Lennox Shea Butter Baby I'm still listening to it ever since we talked about it with Jonathan uh, Snow Allegra um has one of the most beautiful voices I've ever heard. Schoolboy Q's Crash Talk is amazing. Rico Nasty's Angry Anger Management, pick it up. Uh, Beyonce's Homecoming is still a mood. I don't care. It's the, it's the That's the summer mood. It's the, it's the 2019. <laughs> um, but I love you guys. We'll talk later. Of course, submit your questions to voice messages. Um, the link is in the bio. If you are interested in reading books, definitely check out Reading While Black Podcast. Thank you, Brando, for coming. We're going to bring Brando back. Thank you for having me. I'm ready to come back. If there's as long as there's wine, (laughs) as long as there is wine. I don't even know I need wine. Yeah, but we love you guys, and we'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening to the Thank God I'm Fresh podcast. See you guys. Are you searching for new books to read for the new year? Look no further than Reading While Black podcast. Reading While Black is a cross-platform online group and podcast where we dissect and discuss African-American literature. We select novels penned by authors of color and discuss their writing process, purpose of the novel, and celebrate Black literary art. Reading While Black promotes reading as a self-help tool for better mental health. We believe in selecting books by us, with us in mind while also providing a safe space where individuals can speak about their experiences living in this world while Black and tell their stories. You can find Reading While Black podcast on several different platforms like Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Breaker, and Stitcher, just to name a few. Just search Reading While Black. Now, let's get back to the show.